is another full episode of one of our favorite podcasts, Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkop, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top experts, policymakers, and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR Network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed, discounts to virtual events, and Deep State Radio swag, and access to the member-only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting thedsrnetwork.com. Listeners to Words Matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price. Use code WORDSMATTER at checkout. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another special Election Week episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City. Uh, We have with us a great group to discuss where we stand in this election. I'll just note as we begin that we record this at five o'clock on Thursday afternoon. So we expect things to evolve uh, and we will try to keep that in mind as we go. Joining us as every week, also in New York City, we have Ryan Goodman of NYU Law School um, and Just Security. How are you doing today, Ryan? Pretty well, David. Thanks. And also, as we have every week, Dr. Kavita Patel of uh, Brookings and a special a practicing physician and a former Obama White House official. How are you, Kavita? Waiting for 270. Waiting for, wait, <laughs> wait for 270. Somebody, I noticed somebody said on, on Twitter, two, you know, the only way that Trump will hit 270 is if he loses 60 pounds. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like it. So obvious, it's brilliant. Yeah, it was it was very good. That uh, that comment there was from uh, Jennifer Cohn, who is a lawyer and an election integrity advocate, who has been burning up Twitter with uh, insights into where this election is um, running into potential problems. How are you, Jennifer? I'm fine. How are you? Good. And we have with us Greg Sargent of the Washington Post, who, as I've noted in past episodes, tends to write two or three columns a day for the Washington Post. He's one of the most productive columnists I've ever seen. Uh, Are you exhausted, Greg? Yeah, yeah. It's never more than two, I promise. And they're just blog posts, not columns. Well, although the newspaper world does not fully appreciate it, a blog post and a column to a reader are exactly the same thing. That is true. Um, in any event, I thought uh, the, the the place to begin, since this is a big, uh, 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 emotionally challenging week for everybody, as well as 
one of great importance is simply to get everybody's reaction to where we are in this thing. And since there are four of you, we are going to try and go around a few times. So we'll try to keep the answers uh, brief mm-hmm. enough that we can we do a few rounds. Uh, let's start with you, Jennifer. How do you think things are going? Well, no one would ever accuse me of being um, an optimist. And uh, I... I'm not even speaking about the presidential race. I'm upset. I'm upset about these Senate races, and I'm upset for the reason I thought I might be upset before the election, which is that our system is not transparent, and we have some poll-defying Democratic losses in the Senate that uh, no one in a position to seek recounts or do anything about it seems to be looking at or considering challenging and activists scrambling around doing the best they can to try to shine some light on those races with minimal or no funding and, you know, websites that are crashing and uh, speaking of my own group. And so that, that has me not happy. Can you give Put us me one in the or, not happy column? Can you give us one or two examples? Oh, well, sure. Um, I mean, I, mean, I did, happy, I did see a tw- I did. A, I saw a Twitter thread from you a while ago that had like 40 examples mm-hmm. of things that were going wrong. But in terms of Senate races that are underperforming poll expectations for Democrats, what are, what are, what, what's an example? Well, I'm concerned, you know, I have to say, I don't know if these Senate races, what the polls exactly said, but the one, anytime it's control of the Senate might come down to Georgia. Mm-hmm. That, be a good thing. And Georgia law is really bad. So what's happening there, there were, it was the state with two Senate rate, U.S. Senate races on the ballot, Georgia. And Georgia has a uniquely untransparent system. Well, unfortunately, it's not unique enough. Actually, most states have fairly non-transparent systems, by which I mean there is not a good procedure for verifying the legitimate legitimacy of reported electronic outcomes. And in any, in any event, they, they don't conduct... They call them physical recounts, but they don't conduct real recounts there. So what they do instead is a it's a it's a rescan, and experts say that that has a very low chance of detecting um, you know electronic total rigging. So what you really have to do to detect that is something manual with a meaningful paper trail. Uh, Georgia doesn't have a meaningful what what experts generally consider to be a meaningful paper trail. It has a uh, QR code paper trail. But not only that, for a recount, they just rescan it, and they only rescan the QR code, which voters can't read anyway. And so it's, they're going to do a manual audit of the text portion, uh, which again, most experts say that text portion can't even be trusted. You really need to have marked it with a pen for it to be trustworthy, but they are going to do a manual audit on that machine marked text for the presidential race, but they're not going to audit anything else. So those Senate races are just, it's going to be whatever the machines say. And the only bright side is that there's a nonprofit that has been on their case for years called the Coalition for Good Governance, and it's led by Marilyn Marks, who is a very respected, very, very effective election security advocate. And she has a pending lawsuit there that tried to challenge, tried to get them to not use their current system. And the judge actually agreed with them that the current system was very problematic, but said there wasn't enough time. This is the second time she said there's not enough time. Let's keep going around here. Um, uh, Greg, what's your reaction to the week? So look, I think there's a, a high probability that that Biden is going to pass Trump in Pennsylvania, um, maybe in the next few hours, and we may have a winner. Um, that's I, I think that that's almost inevitable at this point. But I, I still feel a little worried about some outstanding things. Nevada today has been taken off the board for Trump. Um, 
the recount, the, the counting there uh, re revealed that it was actually swelling Biden's lead and not helping Trump. I'm still a little concerned about what's going on in Arizona um, because it looks like it's going to get very tight. And I don't know how that's going to turn out. I, I've talked to the Biden people about their modeling and they've told me that it will tighten, but it will that there's no way that Trump can get there. And their analysis supports what the AP and Fox have concluded. Uh, by the way, I think we're going to have a really interesting uh, dilemma very soon on the part of Fox News when, if and when Biden does cross um, uh, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, but um, I also am just not really sure what's going to happen in Georgia. It looks to me like there's a, a, a 50 to 50 or slightly more chance that, that Biden prevails there. But um, I don't think we're going to know that for days. So I, I have to say right now, I'm, I'm still feeling you know, pretty nervous about the whole situation. And I really would like to see Biden win Pennsylvania to get it done uh, tonight. Well, I hope I hope that 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 happens. Kavita, I, I was going to ask everybody's reaction. I'd like to ask you a specific question, though, because I was just watching Nicole Wallace's show, and they they were talking about exit polls. And one of the things that you know, a piece of data I hadn't heard before, but the, one of the conclusions was that about fifty-one percent of the people polled said that they thought the handling of the virus was not going well, which meant that about 49% of Americans either thought it was okay or, or, or better than that. <laughs> and, and, you know, there are 130,000 Americans. There are 9 million Americans who've had this disease. There were over 100,000 cases today for the first time ever. There were something like 1,300 deaths yesterday. And I look at that, and I and and I, I think, you know, the, I mean, this is the most extreme proof that there are two different narratives in America that I've ever seen. But even in the Fox narrative, there's still 130,000 dead people, and somehow half of America doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Two and uh, two hundred and thirty thousand. Excuse me, two hundred. I mean, no, no, I know you. I know you know that you've been rightfully tweeting and getting pretty upset about it for good reason. Yeah, and not sleeping. So yeah. I think all five of us can agree that like a little more sleep would make a lot of us go a long way. Uh, and yes. I do want to want to plug Jen's organization because giving money to these organizations now matters more than ever, I would argue. Uh, so I'll say that you're right about the exit poll. By the way, David, it lines up with 51% of America wears masks, 49% doesn't. I mean, mm. you can't help it. They're not the same people. But you can't help but think they're the same people. And I think what's been shocking to me, and I'm a Senate alum, a White House alum, so all these, the Senate races make a difference to me. I think what's been most shocking to me is I thought that COVID would be top of mind for voters, and it clearly wasn't. Or, or if, it were, if it was, it was that 49% on exit polls, David, to your point, who have basically said, yeah, we think that there's a cure, we think that Fauci is wrong, and that it's been overhyped, and that the scientists are kind of aligned with the Democrats and not telling us the truth, and it's not that bad. And if you get it, you can get over it. And if you're old and you get it, there are these treatments out there and they're essentially cures. And, and David, that's what the narrative is. And so I sit back not having slept and wonder, 
what the hell is going to happen to us in December when we're going to get to like 150, 200,000 cases a day because this thing is blazing through the country and half the country thinks it's not a problem. And I, and I think for me, the bottom line is that if it hasn't affected you personally, I, I feel like people are just kind of removed from it. And if they attend a rally and they don't get infected and they don't know someone who died and they don't care that Herman Cain died or this person died, but they're like, hey, I went to this rally and I got sick, but it wasn't so bad and I'm fine. Then there's this air of, I don't give a crap about the rest of you. And I think that's essentially, we're in America that kind of at the end of the day, you know, half of us don't give a crap about the other half, I guess. That's what it feels like. And that's what the exit polls seem to support. I know it's uh, to me. It's one of the most shocking things about this whole election cycle. Um, and you know, there were there was one journalist who was associating it with, you know, Trump's narrative is working. It's like it's, no, no. You know, people don't care. That's it, Ryan. That's, that's what's it. your what's your takeaway? So yeah, I mean, I I agree that there's a. I was dismayed by that dimension of the vote and definitely dismayed by the dimension of the vote that suggests people don't care about racial justice, that there's this white supremacist that they would, as far as they're concerned at a, at a minimum, doesn't seem to be a deal breaker for them. Not that they were voting for white supremacy, but it's not a deal breaker. Uh, so if he's going to stoke the fires of that element of our society, then that's okay for them because the economy, I mean, is, you know, most important or something like that. Um, so I think in some ways that's already, we knew that, and that's been a part of our country for so long. And I don't want to get um, too much in that direction because at the same time, going back to, in a sense, what Greg was saying, you know, we might be at the weekend where Biden has racked, you know, racked up Georgia, Arizona, flipped, flipped Georgia, flipped Arizona, got all three of the states back that, Hillary Clinton lost in terms of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and has Nevada, and is over 300 in electoral college and a bigger margin than Ronald Reagan had when he had his landslide. So, and so there's a different way to read that and what the country just went through. Um, so we don't know yet in, in a certain sense, but at the same time, the fact that we're sitting here and everything was so close um, to me is just deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, and another element that's deeply disturbing is how off the poll, you know, off the polls were. And um, I'll just th throw something that I've been thinking about with respect to that, the extraordinary confidence of the forecasters going into this. Um, and, I'll, and how many of them are, you know, white male forecasters. And the one poll that was not that was the Salser poll, which was accurate <laughs> when it came out of Iowa. And then the, other um, pollsters, uh, forecasters, uh, rationalized it as they've been rationalizing a lot of information, just saying, oh, no, you know, our models still work and that one is the outlier. Yes, our models still You know, um, and then here I am uh, refreshing their pages and their, you know, my, tw <laughs> my Twitter feed to see what those same people have to say now because that's all I've got. Um, and uh, that's just a, that has to be revisited. There was a political science professor from Stanford who said that a, you know, a mandatory class <laughs> for anybody who goes into that part of the profession should be about understanding um, other parts of our society and culture and uh, even to have 
uh, a deeper understanding of what motivates other people to have maybe more humility in the profession itself. Because I think something uh, really bad happened here. It's almost, you know, people study this as sociologists in terms of organizational failures. And this is going to have to be studied. Like, I don't want to put the exact analogy onto it, but like the, um, the challenge explosion it's like we really have to understand how many layers of redundancy there were and it all um was wrong um there's a lot of it that that was wrong yeah well and you know if you look at the maps cities vote one way everybody else votes another way people who are in contact with people who look different and are diverse vote one way people who are in less contact vote another it's a it's a real chasm in our society um can i, can I say so i'm jumping at yeah. the bit now that that bug is gone not, not, yeah now that you're safe you may just hop in so um i think we have a bigger problem than deviance from the polls i think we have a problem of uh analytical skills critical thinking hmm. there is a possibility guys you guys, I mean, like the Democratic Party, the people who could be in a position to challenge some of these outcomes, there are some anomalies that they may be just that, you know, it may, it, it could be true, legitimate outcomes, or they could be illegitimate outcomes. If we're going to be a party of science, we need to listen to the scientists who tell us there are umpteen ways to rig an election. It doesn't take a nation state. It can be anyone on the inside who is bribed or blackmailed. We're dealing with an administration that is certainly not above bribery or blackmail. Um, and uh, I want to give an example of Miami-Dade is one of the ones that was in the thread that I think you mentioned, David, where in uh, 2016, Clinton in Miami-Dade, this is supposed to be a relatively democratic strong, relative str democratic stronghold, Clinton got a 624,000 votes, Biden got 617,000, so he did just slightly worse, but it's consistent. Trump, on the other hand, in 2016, 333,000, he jumped to 532,000. And they're saying it's all the Cuban vote. And maybe it is. That needs to be investigated. The scientists all said for this election, and I wrote it up in my new piece for the New York Review of Books, they all said for this election, we needed to conduct robust manual audits using a meaningful paper audit trail for every single, at least federal race. The GOP blocked legislation, the SAFE Act, that would have required it. And here we are, everyone saying, like, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do all these strategic things. I don't see how we strategize this without making sure these outcomes are correct, because we could be strategizing the wrong thing. And it, to anyone who thinks it's not possible, um, watch Atticus versus the Architect. My friend Don Siegelman is Alabama's last Democratic governor. He is the um, Atticus, I guess, in that analogy. The Architect is Karl Rove. His 2002 Alabama race was... Um, highly anomalous and think of what they could have done since 2002, but that just probably involved, you know, he says his race was stolen. It was 6,000 votes moving from his column to his opponents after he was, had already been declared victorious and the courthouse was closed up and then the AG seizing the paper ballots. So we couldn't recount them, which is really what always happens. The GOP always prevent has prevented Democrats. The few times they seek recounts, they always try to block them. So. But it's an interesting point. And, and it, you know, it, it's a cousin of the the way they've approached COVID because again, it's a, it's an effort to suppress data, suppress t tracing data, suppress having actual facts to go with. Greg, a, another dimension of this, and you know, I brought this up by the way on Twitter and was immediately had the shit kicked out of me. 
um, because I, I I suggested that you know yes you know Biden may, may well win, but this was not a landslide. This the worst president in American history was not repudiated, um, but it actually didn't go that well in the Congress, where the Democrats were supposed to pick up a bunch of seats in the Senate, didn't were supposed to pick up a bunch of seats in the House didn't lost seats in the house i think they lost seven seats in the house um and you know it 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 suggests that we're about to enter into a period of high dysfunction and everybody else is you know sort of you know everybody's been in obama nostalgia for the past 4 years and and seems to have forgotten that the last couple of years of obama mcconnell was just stuffing him left and right and he couldn't get anything done except via executive order and i'm just wondering what your reaction is to all that can i just uh, say about the the question of whether this was a massive repudiation of trump or not i, I just want to can i address that for a second of course you can address it, anything it points to to other very serious problems in the structural and discourse problems that we're having right now um just to return to what ryan said if if things go as we expect this is really going to be a tremendous victory, right? It's going to be a popular vote margin rivaling Obama 2008, potentially into the 300s in the Electoral College, I hope. I, I don't know, we don't know that, but it looks like it could be. And this is an incumbent who's been ousted, which is a hard thing to do. Um, and I, I think our sort of sense of what's happening right now is very deeply distorted by the Electoral College, and by the way, our press covers these elections, right? So here we are all, every one of us hanging on the outcome in Florida, which is a state that is trending red, right? That, that Democrats never needed to win this election, right? And um, we're, hang, as we're, we're talking about, we're letting our entire reaction to this be colored by the fact that Trump overperformed in certain counties in Florida. Now that, you know, that's lamentable to be sure, but it's not, it's not something that should color our overall thinking about this. The reason we're on tender hooks right now is because of the Electoral College. That's why we're worried about what's happening and we think it's close. In fact, it's going to be a very big win, a historically big win over an incumbent. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that we should embrace this a little bit. Now, when it comes to the losses in, in Congress, the, the House and, and the failure in the Senate, I think we need to know a lot more about what happened there. Um, but we, what we can say is that we don't really know what that tells us about what voters thought about Trump, right? I mean, a lot of the time, voters vote a little differently in congressional races. Their ticket splitting is gone, but... You know, there could be some there could be some stuff on the margins. I think we really need to investigate that and figure out what happened with it. But, yeah, I mean, look, the, the dysfunction that's coming is going to be severe. One thing that heartens me a little bit or gives me a little bit of hope is the fact that we've been through this already. And there's been years of debate um, pro among progressives, among normie types. There's been a lot of talk about what we do about things like the filibuster. I mean, that doesn't apply in this case, but, but uh, you know, unfortunately. But um, that type of conversation has gotten, I think, a lot of Democrats, including establishment ones, which is interesting, to a point where they're willing to think a little bit more boldly about procedural warfare than they were before, 
there's a sense that there's a base that won't tolerate kind of rolling over in the face of uh, McConnell's, um, you know, scorched earth tactics and so forth. So I think we got to see what happens. Uh, I think we might see a little more creativity than we expect uh, out of the Biden people, presuming he wins on this front. So there will be a lot of pressure on him to, to figure out ways of maximizing power in the face of McConnell doing this again, particularly after what happened with Amy Coney Barrett, which I think radicalized a lot of uh, really kind of more norms respecting Democrats and so forth. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I would just add, and, and I'm, I don't want to be argumentative here. It's just my, you know, when I don't get sleep, I get a little more on the Eeyore-ish side, I guess, um, of of these things. But yes, Biden's winning a lot of votes, more than anybody else has ever won in history. But so did Donald Trump. Donald Trump will have come out of this thing with more votes than Barack Obama got in either one of his record-breaking elections. Now, you know, I've said that to people, and they go, well, you know, demography, we have more people. Um, but, you know, we, it's, I, I don't think we can say that. And the other thing which several people have brought up, and I just, as the, you know, as somebody who's been a sort of presidential historian periodically, people are saying, well, it's hard to defeat an incumbent. Well, if Trump loses, he's going to be the third incumbent out of the past seven to lose. And that's not counting Ford. People don't count Ford because he wasn't elected, but he was an incumbent. So if the issue is incumbency, it means four out of the past eight presidents lost after just one term. And so I, I just, I, I flag it because, you know, I, some of these points that we're making, I, I think we, you know, maybe should come out a little more. And, and Greg, can I ask you, do you find, I, I just, you've written, a, I mean, does the fact that we're putting QAnon congressional members in office and that, you know, the House lost a member, I mean, d- that this is the part that I can't, I think you're right, but but to David's point, I mean, are, how else do we read that other than, you know, something is kind of, feels like it's broken. Oh, well, I think there's no question that there's a, there's there's extreme radicalization on the right in a way that, that is deeply alarming and could create all kinds of problems down the road. I'll tell you, I don't know. I, I think you guys, when I hopped on, you guys were talking about Mark Levin's tweet, weren't you, the radio host? Or you were talking about the, the idea of, of getting a, a, a um, slate of electors to, to a pro-Trump slate of a friendly uh, Republican legislature to appoint a separate slate of electors to swing the Electoral College. Um, Mark Levin, who's actually a really popular right-wing radio host, tweeted in support of that idea, and Don Jr. retweeted it today. I thought that was a very alarming sign of, of deterioration on the far right, um, and even not on the not that far right, since those are fa- some fairly major figures. Uh, I think we're going to have major problems with those people down the road. I just don't know what the direct relevance of that is to questions about what the election means in terms of repudiation of Donald Trump and uh, so forth. I, I mean, no, no, it's, it's the, the radicalism is a huge problem, but, but there's always a, a very worked up fringe right when there's a Democratic president, right? Um, I think every major, every Democratic president has contended with his own version of that going back to, to the 60s, at least, right? Well, 
I mean, yeah, I, I think, look, I think we have to take the thing as a whole and we should appreciate what's positive within it. But I also think we need to look at it in terms of underlying trends. Ryan, speaking of long threads, uh, you had a, a thread uh, earlier today on the challenges that are being fielded uh, against this and how unlikely it was that they were going to pan out. Uh, I think if we get to the point tonight or tomorrow when a, a victor is declared, everything shifts to the legal discussion. Uh, and, you know, is, is there one that worries you that you think could be successful? Um, uh, the answer was no, actually. Just I'd said no. There is no legal concern. I think it, it could also help people um, progresses in a certain sense or anybody in the country who's worried about this dragging on or tearing apart the country. It's the probability that there's a legal avenue for the Trump campaign, I think, is so small, it's hard to even try and identify what it is. So that, um, for example, uh, Jonathan Turley, the kind of conservative legal commentator, professor, was on Fox News yesterday, right after the Giuliani press statement, and they asked him, what about Giuliani's claims of... um, aberrations and problems with the procedure of vote counting. What about um, his legal claims, these lawsuits, and what about a recount? And Turley said none of them work. Like, none of them work, though there is something to the particular Supreme Court case involving Pennsylvania. And yes, maybe, but that case, and I think Turley was just very subtly trying to throw them a bone, because that case amounts to a teeny tiny smidgen of ballots. It's about a very separate kind of question. Could Pennsylvania have changed the law right before the election to allow for ballots to still be considered if they were received in a kind of three-day period after the uh, polls closed? That's and, and the number of ballots that we found out today that fall into that category are very small. They will not decide the outcome. Joe Biden will receive Pennsylvania without them. It just seems clear. So even that lawsuit doesn't really matter. There is this crazy Levin idea, and I think that's what their game is. So I think they're they're using the law as a charade. They are throwing things out there that really don't have a legal basis. The lawsuit in Georgia that was thrown out by the state judge today is about, I think it's like 51 or so ballots. Like, why would they bring that? Because then they can say, oh, look at this. There's We have litigation in every state that's pending. And look at all these irregularities. And I think that's their, maybe their strategy with the Levin Don Jr. idea where they raise enough of that, they gin up their public to be outraged at the process. And with that, they try to put pressure on the state legislatures to do something. But even that is based on a premise that there are actually legal (laughs) concerns undergirding the count. And Karl Rove has said there are no such things. People like Jonathan Turley there's so many ways in which that falls apart. Um, so I just, I don't think that's really going to hobble um, the Biden transition coming fully in. And that would assume it all comes down to one state. It does not look like it's coming down to one state. If Nevada gets called within the next 12 hours, both the Fo- both Fox News and the Associated Press are in a corner and they have to call the entire race for the president because both of them have called Arizona. I'm for, sorry, for the president, for uh, Biden, have already called Arizona for Biden. So... I, I think people can be 
fairly rest assured um, that the legal there's not a legal avenue that I can identify that's uh, a real risk. So we only have 10 minutes left, so maybe two minutes from each one of you. And, and, I, and I'd just like to go and, and pose one more round of questions. Um, Jennifer, there's another case that's sort of on my mind uh, that, you know, because I, I, I guess there's an inclination to go and look for big chunks of votes or, or big egregious misbehavior. Uh, and that, of course, is the case of the United States Postal Service, where there were lots of things that were supposed to be delivered that weren't delivered. Um, do you think that has any material effect on anything? Um, I think it has the potential to have a material effect, but it has to be quantified somehow. Uh, I haven't researched the extent to which it's been. we've been able to really pin down how many ballots we're talking about and whether that end up being dispositive in some of these races. But sure, I mean, even before the election, I was worried about the possibility of many people not receiving their ballots for benign or nefarious reasons uh, with, with vote by mail. That's always a possibility. I do want to say it's not just Miami-Dade that was anomalous, not just Florida. It was also Texas, highly. Zapata County, Trump won by 6%, um, six points, whereas Clinton won by 33 was up 33 points in Obama, 43. And it's a very small county where people are going to try to send volunteers there to go door to door, but it's it's hard work for election integrity advocates. And I also think we underestimate the corruption in our election system at our own peril. So for example, um, Ed Rendell, who, was, who um, hosted the DNC, uh, the, the convention in 2016 and told everyone not to worry about Russia, that Hillary shouldn't blame Russia. It was really just her fault. He sat on the board of a Saipan casino, right? Immediately after with Trump's, one of Trump's protégés and Rudy Giuliani's running buddy. And we need to have oversight of whatever ballots they're still counting. Trump, there's always a grain of truth. If the chain of custody is not secure, that is a room for fraud. And we should not assume that the fraud would go um, in our favor. We should not assume that we're that we're okay if we're not guarding those ballots ourselves. And I'm hoping that the Pennsylvania Auditor General, Eugene DePisquale, who did a great investigation and really groundbreaking investigation of the voting machine vendors and corruption throughout Pennsylvania. I'm hope I'm hoping that he will get down there and supervise the counting of those mail ballots in Pennsylvania because they are delaying them and you know we need to be watching it very carefully. Um uh, Greg, one of the things you've you've talked about is the sort of extraordinary, uh, you know, anti-democratic impulses of 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 Trump. We've talked about fiddling the election. We've talked about legal challenges to the election. To what extent are you just worried about Trump, the loser, being in office for another two months? No, I, I I I have to say that I mean I haven't thought that much about it, but it doesn't concern me terribly. I mean. Think about what we've already been through. I mean, there's been just four straight years of abuses of all kinds. It seems like what we're going to be seeing is some, some sort of like, you know, low grade score settling of all kinds. He's going to be, you know, presuming he loses it. It's going to be all about just raging at, at every single institutional player internally who supposedly betrayed him. Um, then the leaks will start, right? I mean, imagine the torrent of leaks that's going to come out after he lost with people trying to curry favor with reporters and get back into their good graces from inside Trump world, um, and then even uh, trying to launder their reputations publicly, too. I just think the circus is going to get so crazy that there's not going to be all that uh, bandwidth for, for really 
uh, severely damaging things. I really am sort of elevated by your optimism today, Greg. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, uh, we're all tired and, and somehow you're, you're tired and optimistic. And I, I'd like to learn how to do that trick. Does that involve a lot of carbs? <laughs> a lot of coffee. Coffee. <laughs> coffee is what it does. Um, so, Kavita, you know, I, I, if there's something else you want to talk about, feel free. But, I, you know, I, the other thing I worry about over the next couple of months is Trump's just going to say, I don't care about this COVID thing. And it's going to be the two worst months of, of, of COVID or two of the three. You know, I mean, it's going to be the, the worst period of this thing. And we're going to have to wait and wait. And, you know, I mean, you've been in the White House dealing with these issues. It's going to take Biden a couple of months just to get up and running, just to get people out of their jobs, get to people in who can do stuff. Um, does, does this lag at this critical moment? Should it be a source of concern? I think the biggest source of concern, I mean, Trump will absolutely continue his super spreader path of neglect by doing nothing and kind of posturing to, to and, and by the way, everybody knows he's like, he's gunning for Redfield. I mean, he's going to create, even though nobody at this time would fire an agency head. I mean, a lot of us fully expect for Trump to kind of exact his revenge by, you know, kind of firing a Redfield or at least doing things and, and continuing to put Scott Atlas, who is incompetent at best in his accusations that, you know, it's not so bad to have all these cases because not that many people are dying. So I think he'll continue to do the neglect that he's been doing, but to an nth degree, because he's holed up like some sort of, you know, it, the, the way he's acting is, you know, the way a toddler reacts to bad news. And that only bodes poorly for how he's going to take kind of COVID seriously. So you're going to continue to see this. You're going to see hundreds of thousands of cases a day, potentially, like you said, December being pretty grim. Biden's people, Ron Klain, I mean, he's got a smart team that's handled crises, pandemics, epidemics before, but it's going to be incredibly important to kind of focus on what is 2021 with COVID look like. And that includes, you know, having a CDC that can roll out vaccines, having treatments online that with a strategic national stockpile and some competence. And you can turn that on quickly because you've got veterans that know how to do it. But to your point, David, the thing that's not getting kind of enough attention, number one, the career staff, which all of us can relate to have been decimated. The politicals are incompetent and, and will be trying to leak and save their own asses so they can get jobs that are lucrative coming out of this. Because coming out of this, nobody wants the Trump taint on them. And they're going to all try to pivot so they can put themselves in the best light, which means they're not going to concentrate on their jobs. And then the third is the role of Congress <laughs> with no kind of, with no ability to understand what Congress looks like kind of January going forward. Right now in this interim, you'd be cutting deals, trying to understand how you could get more appropriations dollars, working with OMB to find things under sofas so that you can get more dollars to federal or to local officials None of that is happening. And a transition team that's going to try to navigate that with all this other disarray, to Jennifer's point about what could be happening in Zapata and could be happening all over the country, not to mention the hundreds of millions of dollars Democrats are going to pour into these two runoff races in Georgia. I mean, I just, oh, yeah. I, you know, God only knows what's going to happen with coronavirus. And at, at the end of the day, as you mentioned with the exit polls from MSNBC, you know, 
apparently half the country doesn't care. And so that's what I worry about. Yeah, by the way, I think you've sort of come on a, a, a you should call Saturday Night Live because the idea of trying to remove the Trump stain from people, you know, and, you know, I could just see the sort of parody commercial of like industrial strength disinfectants that 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 left that the lengths people will go to um ryan i i just noticed up here that um a doj spokesperson was asked will they investigate the fraud that trump has alleged has occurred and the response of the Department of Justice spokesperson was the Department of Justice pursues all actionable information it receives and, as is always the case, encourages anyone who suspects a federal crime to report it to their local FBI office. That, that doesn't sound to me like, you know, A, they're fanning the flames or B, they're planning to respond very quickly. And, I, you know, maybe, maybe I got it wrong, but it does sound to me like they're kind of like, leave us out of this is that am i mistake making a mistake there it does sound that way um and um yeah i i think that's the direction things are headed and people see the writing on the wall um and other indications are you know news just broke in the last couple hours that um secretary esper may have prepared his resignation letter because mm -hmm. uh, he wants to leave having either resigned or been fired by trump rather than being a yesper um, by reputation. Um, Which, and by virtue of the way you've just described it, suggests it's too late. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Nikki Haley has a tweet. <laughs> I just saw that uh, Matt Gates is criticizing because he says, hey, while we're fighting for Trump, she's eulogizing him. So her tweet is about thanking Trump for what he's done. So, you know, I think these people see the writing on the wall. I've wondered if, you know, uh, somebody like Bill Barr himself at the Justice Department has seen the writing on the wall for a few weeks now. Um, and that's why we didn't see him try to come out with some kind of rabbit out of the hat <laughs> move. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it's a good sign um, that there will be less uh, turbulence in the next two months if what that Justice Department spokesperson says will be similar across other agencies and departments. Well, maybe Greg's optimism is is where we need to end this. You know, maybe maybe it's just it was a good outcome. Biden's going to win. He's going to win by a certain amount. We're going to have to. I mean, Kavita's right. A billion dollars is going to go into Georgia. Georgia's going to those two Senate races are going to because the balance of the Senate is. There. And of course, as Jennifer said, this is a state with a terrible track record in this regard. Um, so that's going to be a, a a big distraction between now and and, and January. Um, but to continue in the vein, uh, as we wrap up of 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 Greg's optimism, I also see a report here that Trump is feeling down, and he's starting to feel this slip away. And so, you know, I think that's where we should end. We should we should feel bad for the president, poor guy suffering um and uh i and to the extent to which anybody out there wishes to shed a tear for this motherfucker go ahead shed, shed a tear um uh or not uh in any event there's obviously a lot to keep looking perhaps by the time you're listening to this pennsylvania will have been called there will be a next president perhaps fox will have called it 
um, as as Greg suggested. And by the way, I recommend you go look at Greg's piece on the demise of the 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 the, the real sort of liars in chief over at Fox, which I thought was a very very good piece. Oh. Um, but uh, you know, may, maybe we'll all be in a better mood next week. I hope so. Uh, in the meantime, um, try to uh, uh, stay healthy, stay out of trouble. Go to the dsrnetwork.com to see what else we've got coming. Um, and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Deep State Radio. Deep State Radio, hosted by David Rothkopf, produces new episodes two to three times per week and brings together top experts, policymakers, and journalists from the national security, foreign policy, and political communities. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you become a member of the DSR Network, you'll receive benefits such as ad-free listening via private feed, discounts to virtual events, and Deep State Radio swag and access to the member-only Slack community. This is one of the most closely followed podcasts among the people influencing the most important decisions in Washington and worldwide today. You can learn more by visiting the dsrnetwork.com. Listeners to Words Matter will receive 25% off the regular membership price. Use code WORDSMATTER at checkout. 